Thank you, Sarah, for that ministry and music. Well, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Philemon once again this morning. I'm proud to say that today we are completing the shortest sermon series in the history of mankind. Two weeks. So there you go. You can now say you've participated in the shortest sermon series of all time. Not one week. One week wouldn't be a series, so it had to be two. So two weeks, shortest series. Um, And I do want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you to the Board of Elders. Uh, Thank you uh, for allowing me to speak um, these past four weeks while Pastor's been recovering. Uh, it's grateful to, I'm grateful to see him here and that uh, surgery has gone well. The recovery has uh, gone well so far. I'm looking forward to uh, having him return to the pulpit next week, but I appreciate the opportunity very much, and I've, I've uh, enjoyed it a lot as well. Today we're going to take one last look at the book of Philemon. Again, it's a very short book, but also very practical and challenging. And uh, before we get into this morning's message, I want to just review a little bit from what we talked about last time. Uh, Since we did deal with the first part of the book a little bit last time, I said in last week's message, the book, of course, was written by Paul. It's written to Philemon, an associate of his, somebody who has a church meet in his house. Paul is in jail at this time. We said we don't know what jail, but somewhere close by, it would seem. And um, as he's writing to Philemon, we learn a lot about his love for people. Paul's love for people. We learn a lot about Paul's methodology as a discipler. As we learned a lot of different lessons last week about how he encouraged Philemon, how he thanked God for him, for the things he saw in his life, how he prayed for Philemon, and even in the way that he was going to make that request uh, to him. The way he didn't order him to do something, but rather appealed to him on the basis of love. But in that letter... Um, We also see, apart from these lessons that we learned about Paul, that uh, Paul actually does address a very sensitive subject. There's going to be a request that he makes, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, He's going to be addressing the sensitive subject uh, about this runaway slave that Philemon had. And he's going to address this area of forgiveness. In essence, he's going to ask him to welcome this person back. And to forgive him. And what's interesting to me is that as you read Philemon, you don't really see the word forgiveness appear, really, you know, depending on what translation you have. But I think it's a perfect way to summarize what's being talked about here. Really, what Paul is getting at is forgiveness. And um, and, and so he's going to ask him to welcome back this runaway slave. Now, I don't have time to get into the whole issue of slavery. If you missed last week's lesson, I would just encourage you to. Look online to listen to that part. I tried to do my best to explain why uh, slavery back in this time period was different than the slavery that we often associate with in America in the 19th century. Okay, I will just kind of quickly say that it was different in the sense it wasn't race based. Again, I said last week that anybody of any race could be a slave and it wasn't so much based on that as it was often the case that um, People were just in that position because they owed a great deal of money. I said to you that last week they they didn't really uh, have, back in that time period, bankruptcy. So if you owed somebody a lot of money or if your family owed somebody a lot of money, one way that you could pay that off is through servanthood. And so I encourage you to take a look at that more as an extended kind of employment um, way of looking at things. Of course, there were people who abused that. I'm not denying that. There were slave owners who were abusive, but... I don't think that we get that sense from Philemon. 
Okay, that, that, that he mistreated Onesimus in any way. And in fact, if you look in Paul's letters, you would see an argument from him in various writings that Paul would say, you know, people should be treated as human beings created in the image of God, regardless of their status, regardless of if they're slave or free. And Paul explicitly says that, you know, there's neither slave nor free in Christ Jesus. So Paul certainly wouldn't advocate for treating somebody as being below them. Okay, he would say that we are all one. And again, Paul is not in a position to abolish an entire cultural uh, setting. He's in prison. He can't do that. Okay, he is just an individual Christian. But he will encourage Philemon to welcome this individual back. And in the language that he uses, in a way that almost seems like he would be an equal to him. Okay, so um, th- those are some things I'll say there. Again, I don't have time to get into it all over again. I encourage you to listen to that lesson if you'd like to hear more, or we can talk later about it. Okay, but as I was saying, in this letter, Paul knew that Philemon had this slave named Onesimus, that he ran away from him. And in fact, Paul tells us in the letter that by the grace of God, Onesimus somehow came to meet Paul. We don't really know how that happened. Of all places for this slave to run away to, he met with Paul. And uh, and that was just by God's grace, God's sovereignty. And through their meeting, uh, Paul actually had the chance to share the gospel with him. And it would seem that Onesimus became saved. He became a believer. And and now that he has this change of heart, it would seem that he has repented of what he has done. And he's now coming back to Philemon, almost as a turn of, of attitude, saying that, no, I shouldn't have run away from him. I'm now going back to him. Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And uh, and in the process of their meeting, Paul found him to be very useful to his ministry. And so now that that's taken place, Onesimus is coming back and Paul is encouraging Philemon to welcome him back and to welcome him back as a brother to forgive him. OK, he knows that things are still unresolved for his, for as wonderful it is as it is for Paul to have Onesimus around. He realizes that things still need to be tied up between him and his former owner. So he means to encourage that and to get that reconciliation going. Okay? So Paul sends this letter with Onesimus that urged Philemon to do a very radical thing. That is, forgive him of what he has done and receive him back as a brother in Christ. Now, last week we focused on the heart of Paul. Okay? That's what we were talking about. Um, But this morning, I want to focus on the request itself, which I believe is the heart of the letter. Uh, Paul's plea for Philemon to receive him back and forgive him. And that would have been a very difficult thing for Philemon to do. After all, imagine that you are in his shoes. Uh, Onesimus just up and left him. And we don't know what kind of, if he had land, if he was a farmer, uh, if he depended upon Onesimus' help to be able to do what he needed to do to survive, to make a living. He just left. He left for an unspecified period of time. We don't know if he's been gone for days, for weeks, for months, but it would have cost Philemon something. And then even in verse 18, we see this indication that Philemon probably um, had something stolen from him, that Onesimus took something as he left, because Paul kind of makes these uh, insinuations saying, if he's taken anything from you, charge it to my account. Don't hold it against him. So that would almost seem to indicate to me that when Onesimus left, he stole from him as well. So now after all of that, after having lost all that time of labor and then also having things stolen from him, being felt like he's been been betrayed. Now Onesimus is being uh, taken back to Philemon and Philemon's being asked to forgive him. Forgiveness would have been difficult. 
And, you know, as we think of this topic of forgiveness, perhaps you can think of an example of a time when somebody wronged you or you had a tough time forgiving them. Can you think of a time like that where somebody wronged you in, in the past, maybe recently or maybe long ago, and, and you had a hard time forgiving them? Maybe you haven't even forgiven them today. Maybe it's recent and it's still a fresh wound. Or maybe it was a long time ago and the hurt was so deep that even today, that if you were honest with me, you'd say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I, I still haven't forgiven them. I can't imagine forgiving them. It's too difficult. Well, let me illustrate uh, forgiveness a little bit with a story, an interesting one that I, that I read this week that I think is interesting in light of this text. 1980, a woman by the name of Debbie Morris, by the way, it was the year I was born, so uh, maybe shows my age a little bit, but 1980, a woman by the name of Debbie Morris and her boyfriend, Mark Brewster, um, were abducted by two individuals, Robert Lee Willie and Joseph Vaccaro. Uh, this individual, Debbie, was 16 at the time. And um, her boyfriend in this process was was beaten, was tortured and then killed. And Debbie herself was sexually assaulted. And after a few days, uh, the story says that she was let go. Robert Lee, Willie and Joseph Vaccaro were later captured. They were tried and convicted. Robert Lee was put to death by lethal injection while Joseph Vaccaro was handed a life sentence. And I believe is currently serving that sentence in, in Colorado. Since that time, however, Debbie Miller has written a book that tells of the process of forgiving these men and their horrific crimes against her. And at one point, she was even interviewed by James Dobson of Focus on the Family. And he asked her this question. He said, have you completely forgiven Robert Lee Willie and Joseph Vaccaro? And to that, Debbie Morris replied, I have. I have completely forgiven Robert Lee Willie and Joseph Vaccaro for what they did to me. And as my daughters grow up, I'm sure that I'll have to forgive them in areas I'm not aware of at this moment. But Jesus Christ makes the difference. And I have and will be able to forgive. When I heard that story, when I read that this week about how she forgave these men, my first thought was, I can't even begin to understand what it would take within me to be able to be in her shoes and to forgive two men like that. But then I realized as as I was mulling over this that really apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God's power, it's impossible for me to comprehend anything like that. Left to our own devices, forgiveness of that caliber would just be utterly impossible for us to perceive or to understand. And so I ask you this morning, are there people in your life that you've still not forgiven? This book of Philemon, I think, will really convict us a lot. It will address this issue of forgiveness. And in this book, Paul will make his case for Philemon to forgive Onesimus for anything and everything he has done. And though Philemon could have chosen to remain bitter and angry and resentful upon seeing Onesimus return back to him, we will see that there are many reasons that Paul gives to him why forgiveness is always Always a better choice in Christ Jesus. So the basic question that we're going to tackle this morning is, why should we forgive? Why should we forgive? And, and I want to answer that through this message. We're going to focus primarily on the, the latter verses of this passage. Why do we forgive? Well, here I'm going to, I'm going to give them to you. First reason um, is that Christ commands it. 
Okay, we forgive because Christ commands it. Look at verses eight and nine. Therefore, Paul says, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a prison, a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So we spent all last week building up this giant case about how Paul did not, in fact, order Philemon to do what he had to do. He he made it very clear that he's saying, even though I could order you, I'm not going to order you. I'm I'm appealing to you on the basis of love, on the basis basis of the love that they shared for each other. Okay, the the love that Philemon knew that Paul had for him on the basis of love toward Onesimus. You could even say on the basis of the love of Christ that we share together as mutual brothers in Christ. Okay, but now, nevertheless, Paul is saying in verse eight that even though he's choosing not to take that approach, he does, in fact, have every right to actually order Philemon to do so if he wanted to. Why? Because he says it's the command of Christ. And, and we don't have to look far in Scripture to find this. There are many verses that speak to this. Matthew 18, you don't have to turn there. 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Luke 17, three and four says, be on your guard. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. We could also go to the Lord's Prayer, of course. Matthew six, verse 12, where it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus taught it very clearly. We, we just showed that from a number of verses. But the cool thing is that Jesus didn't just teach it. We know he lived it as well. If you go to Luke 23, again, you don't have to turn there. Just listen as I read. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Okay. And Paul also taught this same thing. So Paul continued this teaching in what he wrote. He said in Colossians 3.13, Bear with one another. This is the verse, by the way, that we just read is our call to worship. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So basically, what I'm saying to you this morning is that if you are here and you are still angry with somebody for something that they have done to you in the past, maybe very recently, maybe distant past, and you might wonder how Can I forgive them? Why should I forgive them? The first answer I would give to you is because Christ commands you to. If you declared Christ to be your Lord, the one that instructs you as to what you should do, then the stark reality is that he has commanded you to do so. And you might say to me, but Pastor Dave, you don't understand. This person has hurt me a number of times over and over again. Um, they, They might have hurt me really deeply. And to that, it says, well, if that's the case, if they've hurt you multiple times, Christ says, forgive 70 times seven. In other words, forgiving without limit. And you might say back, well, Pastor Dave, that's easy for you to preach about. You haven't gone through what I've gone through. Easy for you to say, not so easy to live. And you're right. You would be right in saying that it's not. To that, I would say, uh, in, in the words of Mark Driscoll, uh, a preacher I like listening to very frequently, he says, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. Okay, I didn't I didn't write words of scripture. I'm I'm just simply delivering them to you. These aren't my words. These are Christ's words. 
Um, but recognize also in saying that, as I'm coming down and saying it's a command of Christ, that Christ doesn't give us empty commands. Um, he lived them out himself. He knows how hard the command is. Remember, after all, that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, not in an easy way, but he was saying those words to individuals who are driving rusty nails through his hands. He was, he was saying this to individuals who were putting thorns on his head and having a great time doing it. They were laughing at him as they did so. They were mocking him as they spit in his face and slapped him around a few times. So if anybody understands how hard it is to forgive, and I think Christ does. And if you say to me, Pastor Dave, you don't understand how hard it is. You're right, I don't. I would confess to you, I don't. But you know what's good is, is that we have a Savior who does. He does. So there's nothing that we could come to Christ and say, you know what, Jesus, this, this individual's hurt me so badly. I just don't know how that's possible. Because he has been hurt more. He has been insulted more. He has had his back turned on a number of times and, and betrayed greater than, than a way we will ever understand. So if you're coming to Christ, he gets it. He understands. And, and he lived it out. He said those words. So the first reason we, we forgive is because he tells us to. But the second reason we forgive uh, that Paul implicitly gives to Philemon is because Christ has forgiven Onesimus too. So Paul is going to say to Philemon, essentially, you should forgive him because it's apparent that he has been forgiven. Uh, verse 10, look at Philemon verse 10. It says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment. Okay, if you have an NAS, that's what it says. I like the way the NIV puts it better to just bring out this point. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. What does that mean when he says he became my son? Okay, he didn't adopt him in the way that we think of adoption. What he's saying is he became a Christian. I shared Christ with him and he believed. He is now a brother in the Lord. He is my son through the way that I witnessed to him and he believed. Okay, I be, he, he became my son while I was in chains. Okay, and, and we know this because of other verses that come after. Verses 15 and 16, look down at those. It says, perhaps, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a little while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in our Lord. So Onesimus is now a brother in the Lord, Paul says, meaning he is now a fellow Christian, a Christian who has repented of what he has done. We know that because of what Paul says here, but also because he's being sent back. He wouldn't be sending himself back if he was still wanting to live the way he was. He would be running further from his owner. He would be still on that same course but now you can see that his attitude has changed. He is now a brother in Christ and he has a different heart. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So that if Onesimus has truly believed, he is now forgiven, forgiven by Christ. And the implication is, if he is forgiven by Christ, who is Philemon to refuse to forgive him? He is now a brother. And Philemon should receive him as such. So let me turn this back to you again. Is there anybody in your life that perhaps has done something wrong to you? And they have first come to Christ and sought forgiveness. Either they have came, come to Christ recently 
since the offense was committed or they were a Christian before the offense and have since come to repent of what they have done wrong. Is there anybody like that in your life that you have still not forgiven? And if so, I would say maybe God is telling you now that now is the time for you to forgive them. Especially if they're a fellow brother or sister in the Lord and they have repented of what they have done. And you might say to that, well, Pastor Dave, how do I know that if they're sincere? Sometimes it's really hard to know if somebody's sincere about being repentant. And you're right. Sometimes it is hard to know if somebody is sincere, especially if they have wronged you over and over again. And has continually come back to you and asked for your forgiveness. It can be hard to know sometimes. But the message that I'm seeing here in Philemon is if that Christ has forgiven them. If Christ has truly forgiven of what they have done, then we need to consider forgiving them as well. Now, I do want to make a comment here because as we make application to this passage, you've got to recognize the context in which it's occurring. There's a very specific situation we recognize that's being uh, taken place between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus here. Okay? And, and by that, I mean some of the things that Paul says are based on the person he is dealing with. Uh, they're context specific. For example, Paul knows who Onesimus is. He knows his character. He knows him personally. He's spent a great deal of time with him now since he's in prison. And therefore, because of that, I think he can tell is, if Onesimus is sincere or not. Okay, this is a very specific situation where he can, because he knows him, he can tell that. He knows his repentance and change of heart is real, so that now he can feel comfortable encouraging Philemon to welcome back as a fellow worker in the gospel. And so that knowledge very much informs Paul's response and the way he tells Philemon to handle him and to deal with him. Okay, that's why Paul counsels in that direction. And that's not true for every case of forgiveness. Okay, so as you seek to, to, to apply this in your heart, I just want to make this clear. Um, for example, I gave you the example in the beginning of Debbie Miller. Okay, and, and these two individuals who assaulted her, who killed her boyfriend, who did all these things. And we said in the beginning that she was able in the end to forgive them, which wouldn't have been an easy process to do. Again, hard for me to fathom how a person can do that. But through Christ, she was able to. So... If we were to take her situation and transplant it back into first century Greece, I don't know that Paul would be saying the exact same counsel to her as he would with Philemon here because they're different situations. For example, forgiving those two individuals for Debbie Miller didn't necessarily mean that she had to have them back in her life in the same degree that Philemon is being encouraged to have an estimate part of his life. Because as far as we know from the story, from what I was able to read, these two individuals never repented of what they did. They were still dangerous. For all she knew, for all Debbie knew, they still sought to hurt her. You know, in fact, I think in court, uh, this individual, Joseph, was still making crude comments at her and everything like that. So she had no sense at all that he was repentant of what he did or that these individuals ever re- decided that what they did was wrong. But that didn't have to stop her from forgiving them. She still was commanded by Christ to forgive these two individuals. But that doesn't mean that she had to be best friends with them or that she had to somehow be close to them. Okay? The, the context kind of determines differently for different situations. But again, the, the, the command is the same. So whether it's that situation of Debbie Miller or, or Philemon, we are being commanded in every case to forgive, to forgive. 
And maybe that reconciliation may look, may look a little bit different. Maybe that forgiveness might look a little bit different in different situations. But at our heart, Christ commands us to forgive whatever grievances have been done to us, however difficult that may be. And in the case of somebody who repents, now we're getting to the example of Philemon and Onesimus. Here we have an example of not just somebody who wronged somebody else, but somebody who has come to Christ and has asked for forgiveness and is now repentant and is desired to turn back and be reconciled. And I would say to you, if you have somebody in your life in that case, then we are to welcome them back and to consider forgiving them and accepting their apology and accepting their desire to be reconciled in that case. That's what's happening here with Philemon and Onesimus. Paul's saying he's changed. He's a brother now. He's coming back to you. Receive him. Receive him. And if Christ has forgiven him, then you should as well. You should as well. Third reason why Paul tells Philemon he should forgive Onesimus is because in Christ we really have given up our right to claim anybody owes us anything. For as much as somebody has wronged us, we have wronged God more. As much as somebody owes us, we owe Christ more. Okay, so as I was saying in the beginning, it seemed like Onesimus had stolen something from Philemon. And as we talk about how difficult this might have been for him to forgive, um, you know, one thing Philemon might come back to Paul and say is, hey, this guy stole from me. Maybe it was a great amount. We don't know what the amount was, but he stole from him. And he has wronged him in all these different ways. And so if Philemon wanted to, he could come back to Paul and say, listen, he's done this and this and this against me. I just don't see how forgiveness is possible. But this is how Paul responds. Look at verses 17 through 19. He says, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self as well. Now, as I mentioned last week, I love these verses. I love Paul's subtle humor in them and the way he kind of just makes a little bit of a jab there back to Philemon and anticipates what his response might be um, even before Philemon says it. Okay, here Paul is doing a number of things. I want you to see. First, he reveals that Onesimus has probably stolen something. Okay, that's where we get that idea. That's the first thing he reveals. But even in that, if that's the case, Paul then says, don't hold that against him. Charge it to my account. Okay. Um, Onesimus probably wouldn't have the means to repay back whatever it is he's stolen. It's probably gone. It's probably was spent on whatever it was that he spent on. Think back to the example that, that Jesus gives in the parable of the prodigal son and all that he took from his father when he took his inheritance early left and he spent it on uh, luxurious living. You know, there was no way for that son to make full restitution for everything that he had taken early and, and used unwisely. And I think Paul's indicating that here. You know, if there's anything that he owes, he knows that Onesimus can't pay it back. So he's saying, charge it to my account then. Don't hold it against Onesimus. But then Paul says, um, you know, with that, there's a, a bit of a jab. Again, he, he's, he's kind of anticipating what Philemon might say. So he says, okay, if, if you think that he has stolen anything from you, charge it to my account. Um, make me pay it if it's so important to you. But in the next verse, he says, essentially, in the next part of the verse, he says, go ahead then, charge it to my account. But remember this, 
if anybody owes you anything, you owe me your very soul. In other words, if anybody owes anything, it's you who owes me. I'm the one who preached to you, is, is what he's getting at. He's saying, eventually, uh, if you go back far enough, I'm the one who led you to Christ. If it weren't for me, Philemon, you wouldn't be where you are today. So if we're going to play this you owe, you owe me game or he owes me something game, Philemon, then fine, go ahead and, and play that card. But in reality, you owe me. And if we're going to stack up who owes what, your debt is far greater than Onesimus's. I love these verses because what Paul is really doing here, he's stepping back and really taking the place of Christ is what he's doing. He's being the intercessor. Think about this for a second. Just as Paul says, charge any of his wrongdoing to my account. Jesus says to the father about us, charge any of their wrongdoing to my account. Just as Paul says, if anybody owes something, anything, it's you who owes me. So Christ could come out of the sky and tell us, if anybody is indebted to anybody, it's you who are indebted to me. Or um, just as Paul says in verse 17, accept him, Philemon, as you would accept me, Paul. So we could say that Jesus says to the Father, accept them into your presence, God, just as you would accept me. Jesus steps in in our place and says, God, don't see what they have done. Rather, view them as if you would view me, as righteous, as acceptable in your sight. Paul is playing the role of the intercessor. He is showing us just how Jesus intercedes for us. And essentially the message is, you know, do you feel like you have a right to be angry at somebody in your life for how much they have wronged you? Do you feel like somebody still owes you something so much so that you can't imagine possibly forgiving them? Because in reality, if anybody doesn't deserve to be forgiven, it's you and it's me. We have wronged God more than we have ever realized. We have taken from God what is not ours to keep. We have lied to God. We have been unfaithful to God. We have refused to listen to God. We have betrayed God. So if anybody's unworthy of forgiveness, it's us. And any bit of trying to play this numbers game by saying, well, this person, God, did such and such to me. They stole this from me. They betrayed me in this way. They did this to me over and over again um, is foolish because God could come right back to us and show us the entirety of our lives and say, look what you have done here. Look what you have done here. And if you're going to add things up, I think you'll find that your stack is much taller than this individual that you are having trouble to forgive. And if anybody is unworthy of being forgiven, it's you and I. So the gospel removes any right for us to make that claim that somebody has sinned against us so much that we can't possibly forgive them. That that claim is now false. It's eradicated. And Paul says to Philemon, don't try that argument, because in the end, as the great reformer Martin Luther says about this passage, he says we are all Onesimai if we really believe it. We should forgive because we have been forgiven of even greater sins. Number four, fourth reason why we should forgive is because it refreshes the heart of the church. Reason four comes from this very next verse, verse 20. Paul says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh. 
Paul's already said that back in verse 7. Uh, it was a verse we looked back last week at. And, and there he thanked Philemon. He thanked God for Philemon because he said he had a, ref, a reputation of refreshing the hearts of the saints. Okay, remember, we were saying all the things that Paul was thankful for. He said, above all things, you know, you love God, you love the church, and you refresh the souls of the saints. And whenever I hear about that, I give thanks for you, brother. And Paul's saying here, you know, basically, if that report about you is really true, Philemon, then please do me a favor. Refresh my heart here in this manner. Do what you've done to so many others. Refresh my heart in Christ. Prove your character by forgiving this individual as I'm asking you, pleading you in love to do. And it's true. When one of us forgives another, um, it refreshes the heart of the church. Okay? Just as it refreshed Paul's heart and would have refreshed Paul's heart to hear that Onesimus was welcomed back from, you know, if he could have heard that when that letter was sent back to him, as soon as Philemon saw him, read the letter, that he embraced Onesimus and said, I forgive you for everything that you've done. I receive you as a brother. I'm so grateful that you've come to trust Christ as your Savior too. Now we are mutually brothers in the Lord. And everything that you've done to me, it's all behind me. I don't care. Christ has paid for it all. And if Christ has paid for it all, then I have no reason to hold it against you, brother. If Paul could only see that scene, if that were to be the reaction when this letter was received, it would have refreshed his heart, would have refreshed his heart. And, you know, it happens with us. Like if, if there is division in the church and there are individuals here that are fighting and, and they haven't gotten along for a while. And, and if you hear how two individuals come together after a period of time and reconcile, you know, when we hear about that, it refreshes our hearts, does it not? It makes us feel so much better knowing that two individuals who have been fighting for so long have now come back together and said, you know what, brother or sister, the things that I have done to you, I ask for your forgiveness for. Please forgive me. And, and whatever wrong you've done to me, I forgive you. And, and please, I just want this, this relationship that's been severed to be joined back together. And whatever differences there are between us for the good of the church, I want to be resolved. And, and when that happens... When everybody hears about it, it's refreshing. It's refreshing. Think of the opposite of that. When, when things still continue, when division still exists, it creates awkwardness, tension. But when those things are resolved, boy, does it refresh the hearts of the church and refreshes the hearts of the individuals who have been holding on to bitterness and, and anger and resentment for so long. Your heart's refreshed. And so another reason why we are called to forgive one another for things that have been done wrong, no matter how great, is because ultimately refreshes our hearts. It brings joy. Finally, the last reason that we're to forgive is because it restores a person so that they can become useful for the ministry of the gospel. Paul said in verse 11, I am sending back Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. And then also, jumping to verse 16, uh, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I read those three verses together because altogether we can see that Paul is saying, look, Onesimus has changed, and even more than that, a Philemon, he has become useful. 
You know, now he, he, is, he is of use to you. Before he was useless to you, but now he is useful. He is a fellow brother in the Lord. And so to that degree, he is now able to work with you to the same goal that you and I work for the for the gospel, for the changing of souls, for the building up of individuals in Christ. And Paul says that while I was in prison, while he was with me, he was very useful to me, so much so that I wish I could have kept him. I would have because he was helping me out. It's like he was you in, in your place. But you know what? There was a greater good at stake. I couldn't be selfish like that and keep him because there was a greater reconciliation that had to take place between you and him. So please forgive him. But recognize in forgiving him that he is very useful to you. He is now somebody who can work together with you for the gospel's sake. And you know what? When division is eradicated, again, we can see that at work with us. When forgiveness takes place, when individuals are reconciled, when we choose to forgive somebody, then we can become much more useful for the cause of Christ. Because before, when we're divided amongst ourselves, if there's something we're holding against one another in the church, then kind of working together is awkward. You know, it's just, it's strange. It, it, it kind of hinders us a little bit. When we're working alongside of that person, isn't it just a little bit tense? You know, when, when things are not resolved yet, it's hard for you to work alongside of somebody that you have issue with. Or when you know that somebody has issue with you. Whatever we're doing, whether we're serving at a work project, or whether we're preparing a meal for Fellowship Sunday, or whether we're cleaning in here, or whether we're out on a missions trip, or whether we're singing together, or sitting next to each other in the pews, whatever it is, it's awkward, it's strange, it's uncomfortable, and we're less effective because we're hindered by it. When forgiveness takes place, then all of a sudden we can be more useful, we can be more productive, we can be more... um, We work together better as a team when we forgive one another. And that's the implicit plea that Paul is making here. Saying, listen, he is going to be useful for the gospel. Don't let this division, this bitterness that you have inside of you, Philemon, don't let it stifle that. Don't let it quench all the the fire that's in Philemon's heart to serve alongside of you. When we forgive, that burden is lifted and we're free to serve together unhindered. So here's my challenge to you. Is there anybody in your life that you have not forgiven? Have you been putting it off? Have you been holding on to bitterness? If so, I would encourage you to look once again at Philemon. And I would say to you that forgiveness is always, 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 always a better way. And though I could have every right this morning to command you in Christ to forgive the one that's wrong to you, I instead appeal to you on the basis of love. Forgive. I plead with you for the good of the church, for your own good, for the restoration of that individual soul, for the work of the gospel, for the sake of unity being built up amongst our body. Forgive. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray.